complain about the list being too short. Because, yeah, exactly. You did it now. All right. Matthew chapter 21, if you will. On the religious calendar, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, we, uh, I, I like flowers. I like plants. Um, I would have plants in the front here all the time if it was left up to me, but then I get uh, uh, frowned upon. But uh, so we were, uh, you know, at the store, you got the Easter lilies and everything. And so we picked out a few and put them here and so forth, just kind of make the place look better. I mean, I make it look good, but that makes it look better. Okay. So anyway, so today it being Palm Sunday, and we were just kind of really had a pause place in talking about Paul's love language and so forth. I just thought we would we would take a moment to look at Palm Sunday and uh, look at really something that, uh, unfortunately, for some of us, takes the secular world to remind us of, and religion and the religious calendar about really a subject that we should never need to be reminded of, and that's the cross, and that's Calvary, and the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. That should be on your mind every day. It should be present every day because it's the basis of everything that we have and do and believe and stand on, teach and preach and live our lives based on the life of Christ. And that comes about because of the resurrection. Now, we'll say more about Easter and everything next week because next week's Easter. This morning, I just want to read Matthew 21 with you. The first 11 verses um, is what is called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I will tell you that this is not the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem has not happened yet. It will happen when the Lord returns in his second coming, where he comes down across and he actually liberates Israel, liberates Jerusalem from the clutches of the satanic policy of evil, from the Antichrist, from all of that, all of his cohorts, one final time. This, though, happens to be a tremendous event here in Matthew 21 in the Lord's ministry because he, not, he does come into Jerusalem, but he comes into Jerusalem to go to Calvary. Now, he's doing things in Israel, and you read them, and then eventually he does get to Calvary, and he's going to die, be buried, and rose again the third day. But what happens is, is religion hones in here. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives... Then sent Jesus two disciples. By the way, the Mount of Olives, when he returns in his second coming, he does not put a foot on the planet Earth until he sets foot once again on Mount of Olives. As he sits on the outside of town on the eastward side, and he lays his foot down, and then he goes in, and he, with an overwhelming victory, releases and, and, and validifies and, and uh, sets Jerusalem free. Verse 2, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Now that's Zechariah 9.9, just FYI. Notice it's being fulfilled. This is why this event had to happen. It needed to be fulfilled. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded and 
brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. They cut down branches from the trees and, saw, and uh, strawed them in the uh, uh, way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And you go read the other accounts and you get more details and different things. And what do you have? You have him coming in, riding on the, the baby donkey, and he's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. All right? That's it. Shall we go home? Nope. Okay, now we get into the short list, right? Now, what, what's happening here? What's going on? He's fulfilling prophecy. He's painting the picture of him coming. By the way, look back at Zechariah 9.9. You've got to notice this because Matthew says it just a little different. Matthew 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just having what? salvation when they cry out hosanna they're crying out he's our salvation that's what they're crying out and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass and that's the fulfillment of it but what i would like you to do is come over to romans when we think about palm sunday by the way palm sunday happens we don't have the time and or really it's not my focus to go back and show you in in israel you, you need romans uh five uh, Israel's history, where uh, 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 10 days out, a week out, ahead of Passover, they take the lamb, they set that lamb out, they watch it, they make sure it's pure, per, uh, perfect, no spots, no blemishes, and then they watch it, it's a, it, and then they come over here on the Passover Sabbath, and they kill it, and they eat it, and they do all their, their, their rituals, which is it's exactly what the Lord does as he's fulfilling Passover. He fulfills the lamb, that picture in Exodus. He then comes over and fulfills Passover, the issues there with him being the Passover lamb, him being the Messiah, him being their Jehovah, the great I am. And then he, in his death, there's Passover and his burial. Here's the issue of the unleavened bread being fulfilled, that feast. And then in his resurrection, here's the first fruits of it. And so you have those first three uh, issues fulfilled right here at Calvary in one event. Then 50 days later, now you're in Acts 2 in the day of Pentecost. So the first four festivals of Israel's history has been fulfilled. There's three to go. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. Those are all three are associated with his second coming. And there we are. But I want us to look into this issue here just this morning, really a way of reminder about the cross and its impact. Calvary was a prophesied event. It's all through, it's little pictures of it are all through Israel's, all through the Old Testament. And it, so it's a prophesied event. It's been foretold. Genesis 3. We were talking in between how, how you can look back and see things. You and I today, in the age of grace, we hold the completed revelation of the Word of God. There is nothing lacking. 
There's nothing missing. So in Genesis 3, when we look back at Genesis 3 and we see the Lord talking to the adversary and the issue there of him going to crush his seed and everything, we know because we have the completed revelation, what's he talking about? Calvary. In Genesis 22, Abraham takes Isaac up on the mount and they go through that whole beautiful picture. In the moment, Abraham has no idea what Calvary, the cross, crucifixion, any of that is. He's just obeying the word of God, doing what he's supposed to do. We look back and say, hey, what a beautiful picture painted of Calvary. And we can do that all through the Old Testament. So it has a prophesied event, but it has a mystery component to it in that the meaning of the cross and what it means was kept secret, was held back. And literally, when you come into the Apostle Paul, into Romans to Philemon, you begin to see that this, the cross, the, the center activity, the center work of the Lord's earthly ministry, the center work of the Lord's heavenly ministry, zeroes in right here on Calvary because something happened there, and it carries a meaning. Yes, to fulfill the prophets. Yes, to, to fulfill the things revealed. Yes, to give to Israel a picture of their Passover lamb, and there he is, and to do. But then for the rest of us, could you imagine being a Gentile in the day of Pentecost going, man, what's going on now? What is this about? And then in Acts 7, what do you have? You have, in Acts 9, sorry, you have a guy show up and says, hey, guess what? I'm talking to you Gentiles now. And they get all excited. And he goes in about the Calvary and the cross and that it's not now just to a few many believers, but now it's made known to all mankind. It's not just over here restricted to one little agency that's got to get it first and then take it out. Now it's everybody. And oh, by the way, they didn't, believe, they didn't enjoy the shed blood aspect of it. It was murder. It was wicked hands. It was bad news. Paul says, man, I glory in the blood. We need the blood. Colossians 1. We'll get there in just a minute. See? So when you come in and thinking about Cal cross and Easter and bunnies and eggs and all this stuff, you just put all that over on the side and come into Scripture and just remind ourselves this morning that something else was going on at Calvary that's never put into focus, that's never really paid attention to, it's never really identified. Because the death, burial, and resurrection isn't all that the cross was about. Now, it's, it's crucial, and we need to see that. Look at Romans 5. Look at verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with who? With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to have peace with God, how do I have peace with God? I have to be justified by somebody. I can't do it. He's got to do the work. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, there's an issue that's going on at Calvary that's just more than our justification. Come back to chapter 3 of Romans. Just kind of think about this and think through this and stay with me for a half hour, okay? You can, listen, if you can watch 10 hours of the Masters Tournament, you can take an hour of teaching, okay? No, I can't, Rick. Yeah, you can. If 
you got to go up and go, you, no, you can do it. I know. I, if you can sit for four hours through a baseball game, you can sit for four hours of, I mean, a couple hours of teaching, okay? It does when you do it like that. Look at Romans 3. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's your condition as a man? As man, generic, mankind, human. We still can use human, right? Okay, human. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Okay, all right. What's your problem? Verse 23, you're a sinner. You've come short of something. You've come short of that perfect standard that you're to match and to reach. If you, were to, if, if you get to heaven, by the way, there's no pearly gates, but you get to the pearly gates. Peter says, why should I let you into my heaven? By the way, is it Peter's heaven? No, it's God's heaven. So see, you throw out all that real quick as religious junk. But if, if the Lord looked at you and said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would, you, what would your answer be? What is, why? Because you've fallen short of that. You're not there. You're short. Verse 24, being justified freely. How about that as an answer? Woo, I've been justified freely by his grace through the what? Redemption that is in Christ. That word redemption redemption money. He literally, when he went to Calvary, he goes into the sin market for humanity. And he lays down the gold, the silver, whatever is needed to pay for your sin debt. By the way, you know what he put down? His blood, his life. That's what he put down. He reaches in over there, and he says, you know what? Whom God, verse 25, set forth to be a propitiation. That word propitiation, a fully satisfying payment. He fully satisfied the, you know, have you ever, yeah, you get a bill, first of the month, you get bills. Don't you love bills? You know what bills do? They remind you you're alive because you created them, so you're alive, right? You get a bill, and you finally get that thing paid off. What are you looking for the next week or the next month? No more bills. He says, hey, listen, I paid your sin debt. It's been taken care of. It's been fully satisfied. How? Through faith in his blood. How did he fully satisfy the justice of God? The justice, the righteousness of God said you need to be perfect, and you can't do it because you're a sinner. You've fallen short. But I did it, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus he says I did it for you and God the father has faith in the activity of his son that's what's happening in verse 25 God the father says if you unto all and upon all verse 22 if you believe what my son did I'm going to impart to you his righteousness verse 26 to declare I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Look at that. That's wonderful. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, But to him that knew no sin, he was made to be sin for us, that we might be made righteous. That's what Calvary did. That's what's going on here. That, that's the core issue here in the cross work of the Lord. What did he do? He went, he died, he came, he accomplished, he fulfilled, he's who he said he was. And then he goes to Calvary and he dies. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. Why? Because scripture said that's what he's got to do. He looks over there in Luke 24 after the Calvary, verse 44 and 45, and he says, Guys, everything I told you that the Psalms and the prophets and the law told about me, I have so fulfilled. And he opens their eyes and they begin to see it and they get it and they go, Yes, there it is, right there. And then you and I come along. And the Apostle Paul says, by the way, it's there for you. Their Messiah that died and was buried and rose again the third day from them is the same guy that now you trust in. Without the deeds of the law, without the works of the law, without all of that over there, you just come to him by faith. Chapter 4 of Romans. What does he say here, verse 5? Romans 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his, what? Faith. You see, faith is not a work. Faith is, is an activity of your heart, of your soul, of your inner man. As you look, the object of your faith is what's important. I had great faith this morning that I would get up, get in the car and come to church. You know what happened this morning? I got up and there was a flat tire on the back tire of, the, of, the, of, the, of Linda's car. So we're in the truck. But I had great faith that when I get done today, I can go home and do what? Roadside assistance. Yes, please come. No, get out there and change the tire. Get it in the shop tomorrow. Get it fixed, right? I have, but that faith in that changing that tire isn't going to do anything but what? Change the tire. Has nothing to do with my eternal security. Has nothing to do with if I die today where I would spend eternity. My faith for that rests in the finished work of Calvary. All of it, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You with me? All of that is based upon him coming and doing and fulfilling and being who he said he was going to be. But there's something else that's happening at Calvary. There's something more than just what we just read. Now, that what we just talked about, that's great, isn't it? But there's something else there. There's some things, there's some ramifications that are taking place while he's making the payment for the sin debt. Come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I, you know, actually, go get Galatians 4. Let's not skip a verse. Galatians 4. Galatians 4. There's something that's m deeper happening. M more than just him dying to pay for the sins of the world. And really, that's what I want to remind you about this morning. Is You, you understand the gospel. You, you understand that. You don't have to walk the aisle right where you're at. And faith, Man, faith is so private. It's... It's never been a public demonstration of anything. 
even in Israel's program, when by their actions you'll know them and all that, and that's true for them, but yet it started way over with a heart of faith and a belief of what the Word of God said to them at the moment. In Galatians 4, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Great verse here about the issue of adult and the issue of sonship and the issue of who you are in the body. You're not a child. You're not a little guy. You're an adult. You sit at the family. God the Father has appointed you to act and be this way. You are a son of God. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the law. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now watch, to redeem them that were under the law. By the way, who's under the law? That verse says to redeem them that are under the law. Be careful how you answer this. It's a trick question. We instantly knee-jerk and go to, well, Israel, duh, but not according to Romans 3. Romans 3 says the, whole, the law had made the whole world guilty. When he redeems them that are under the law, it's more than just Israel, it's who? It's going to be everybody that we might receive the adoptions of the sons. And because ye are sons of God, hath set forth the spirit of his son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What a great thing. More than just justifying us, what's he doing? He's setting us as a what? As a son. Who cried, Abba, Father? Only one other man ever cried, Abba, Father. That was, the Christ, that was the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he is getting ready to go to Calvary. It's a cry of a son, of an adult, of maturity, of someone who knows and understands what the will of the Father is and is willing to go and gladly and delighting and participating in it and doing it. And you know who does that? Only a son does that. Only someone of maturity does that. Only an adult does that. You know what a children does? A child does? Why? Wang, wang, wang. It sounds like why, 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 why? constantly being educated. You're no longer under tutors and governors. You're no longer under a system that's designed to guide you, to tell you what to do, tutors, to restrain you from evil, governors. Now you're to stand there as an adult, take the Word of God into your inner man, and go live life as an adult. Boy, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but I tell you what, it is. The cat's meow. I know what happens. We'd rather have a bunch of rules and regulations to tell us what to do. God the Father says, nope, you guys over here in the church, the body of Christ, I'm going to treat you like an adult. I'm going to give you everything up front. You don't have to do anything to get. I've already given it to you. All I'm asking you to do is buy out of a heart of gratitude, a thankful heart, a heart of thank you, Lord, for everything that I have. Go now and serve and walk and do. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. You're in Galatians. 2 Corinthians 5. You see, folks, you th we have a privilege. We have a high calling to behave and to act as who we are in Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ, his love, not your love for him, but his love. Now, where does he demonstrate his love? Romans 5, 8, But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what happened? He died for you. You want to see the love of God? You want to have the love of God, the power of God? By the way, the power of God was wrought when he did what? You remember that verse in Ephesians 1? Raised him from the dead. You want to see the power of God? You want to see the love of God? You want to have that in your life and a part of your life? We all do. Where do we have to reside at then? The foot of the cross. Because that's where it's shown. That's where it's put on display. That's where he's able to say, I make you complete. I bless you in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not over here because I'm a, you're a, just such a wonderful guy. Because I'm not a wonderful guy. I'm a scoundrel of a guy. If you don't believe me, come around tomorrow and I'll show you. It's because of who I am in Christ. It's because of who you are in Christ. Look at verse 15, or well, verse 14. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not live henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. By the way, that's not talking about you selling everything and coming and putting it here at the foot of the, uh, of the podium. I mean, you can do that. I'll be glad to take it in. But that isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about in your life, where you live, and your marriage, and your family, and your relationships that you have, your friendships, whatever your life is, in that moment, you be who you are in Christ. And on that job that you have, on that relationship, whatever it is, you be who you are in Christ to the 100%. He's not talking about you being something you're not. Romans 12, he's talking talk about, about your reasonable service. Reason. Reasonable, not unreasonable. It'd be unreasonable to make you come and be something you're not. He says, no, you be who you are. Why? Because we thus judge. We think a certain way. Come on over to 1 Corinthians 2. You know how we think? We think because we think. We are thankful because of what he did for us at Calvary. More than just shedding blood, he did something else as well that we need to be just as thankful for. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul dealing with the Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. I, I, the Corinthians are not in good shape, are they? They're babes. They're carnal. They're over in the nursery next door. That's where they're at. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him, crucified. At the moment, at Corinth, Paul is giving them limited information. They're not mature enough to handle more information. Okay? All they can handle is their justification, what we just did in Romans 3. That's all they can handle. I heard a guy one time many years ago say, oh man, what? Verse 2 is a wonderful verse of Paul's ministry verse and life. And that is not, it is a rebuke to Corinth. Oh, you know what Paul wants to do? We'll keep reading. 
And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are what? Perfect. Now, again, perfect, mature, not a baby, a grown-up, a son of God. Galatians 4, 5, okay? What are they? They're babes. Uh, oh, man, by the way, just verse 2. You notice how he says, I determined not to, to save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I can know. What did 3, 2 say? I fed you with what? Milk and not with meat. Do you see how the cross being just talking about Christ crucified and Paul's estimation and the estimation of the Holy Spirit who wrote the book says that that's milk? That's just five chapters of the book of Romans. We've got 13 and a half, 12 and a half other more to go. You get saved one time. You got a life to live the rest of it. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Notice that Paul wants the Corinthians, he wants you and I to have some wisdom. He says, guys, I want to come down there and I want to lay some wisdom on you, but you can't handle it. I want to give you the truth, but you can't handle it. You're not there maturely, spiritually wise. You're not there yet. You've got to grow. You've got to get this in there. Now watch verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew. Knew what? The hidden wisdom of God. Verse 7. Paul says, I want to lay out on you some hidden wisdom. I want to make known some things here which God ordained before the world unto our glory. I want, you, I want to give you some information about our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, what's the it? Not the cross. The cross has been talked about. The hidden wisdom of God. If that had been made known, you know what the princes of this world would not have done? They wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. That means there's something meaningful in Calvary that no one knew until here and the Apostle Paul. And there's a whole list of it, by the way. We just don't have the time to go through it. He's talking about the cross, but he's, he's, he's bringing it into the Corinthians' mind into our mindset to appreciate something else that was going on there. Yes, it provides your justification. Yes, it provides your eternal security. Yes, it provides life after death. But something more was going on there than just that event. Come back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Paul is going to begin to tell us about something about Calvary and what it's, what it's going to do to the adversary. And there was a battle that raged on Calvary in those three hours of darkness when not only does the sun go out, but there's a spiritual darkness that's felt. 
And in those three hours, Isaiah, he says, who is going to come and contend with me? Where's the adversary? Where is the one that brings and finds fault with the people? Where is he at? Where is my adversary? Where is the guy withstanding me? And from Genesis 1-2, all the way down through the end, there's a conflict in the universe between light and darkness, between God and the adversary, Satan, between evil and good, good and evil. Get it on the right side. Good and evil. There's a conflict. And the conflict is whose wisdom plan is going to win. Who's going to run and rule in the universe? That's the conflict. That's the struggle. When the Lord comes down and he enters Jerusalem on what they call Palm Sunday, and they do that in that triumphal entry, and he goes in and he's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, the adversary knows that there's a battle about to rage. Why do you think the adversary gets in Judas to get the job done? Could you imagine? He sent the guys down there to do it. They couldn't do it. Well, if they don't do it, the best guy to do it is yourself, right? So he enters Judas, goes and gets it done, and Judas betrays him, and off they go. They kill the Messiah. Up on the third day, he rose again. And you know what? The adversary, could care, he, he wasn't bothered by the resurrection. He knew it was going to happen. He set in place to, to have the questions and the doubting about it, yes, but he wasn't concerned about it because what did he know he had? He, know he, he knew he has the 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 plan of God on the ropes. Because look at Israel. They're a mess. See, it's a wisdom plan. He had a I will plan. God the Father had a plan. It's called glory. Paul comes in and says, you know what? We're a part of that. And because of that, what makes us a part of that is Calvary and what it means. Look at Colossians, 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Well, what is it, Paul? Baptizing or not baptizing? What does the verse say? No baptizing. No water baptism. Well, wait a minute. Paul did all that. Yeah, but when you go read in Acts, where 1 Corinthians is written... From that moment forward in Acts, Paul does not water baptize another individual. And you have to be very careful with understanding the provoking ministry of Paul in the book of Acts and not get all that jumbled up in religious chitter-chatter. I came to preach the gospel. Now watch how he says it. Not with wisdom of words. Do you know what a wisdom of words is? Come and walk the aisle. That's an outward expression of your inward faith. That's a wisdom of words today in the age of grace. How do you trust Christ? By faith. I do it right there in the moment in the quietness of my heart right there. Well, come on, Rick. No. Do you know where the outward, outward demonstration of an inward faith comes from? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Israel's program. So which one's he doing? Where's he at? See, that's a wisdom of word. Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. No one looking around. We're going to say the sinner's prayer. That's a wisdom of words. What does it do to Calvary? It makes it, lest the cross of Christ should be made of what? None effect. 
Calvary is to be effectual. It's to have an effect. It's to work. It's to come in and to answer the sin problem in your life, to deal with it. But then it's also going to come over here and it's going to have an impact in this battle that's raging between God and the adversary, between good and evil. And it's going to have a, it's, it's going to blow it wide open. Watch verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And you know that. When you say that you trusted Christ, that he died and was buried and rose again, and you believe that, you know what people look at you? You're a fool. You know why? Because you believe in a dead Jew that hung on a cross some 2,000 or better years ago. What are you? You're, you're just a fool. Because that's what religion looks at Calvary and says. Foolishness. Who in their right mind would believe and trust a dead Jew on the cross? Well, he rose again the third day. Yeah, that's what you say. Prove it. By the way, Paul does say, or I'm sorry, Luke does say in Acts 1, many infallible proofs. And the law of the rules of the game, you can go and authenticate it. I get the word out there. And you can do that. But what does he say? The preaching of the cross is what? Foolishness to them that perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Isn't that wonderful? The first thing connected to the cross is the power of God. Hold on here. Look at Romans 1. Hold on to 1 Corinthians. Look at Romans 1. Romans 1, 16. You've got to watch this. Romans 1, 16. The first thing connected to the cross is about the power of God. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's wonderful. Why? Because not only is it the power of God to take care of the sin question of all of humanity, but it's also the power of God that comes over here and defeats the adversary, lays him waste, lays him out there. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Now, watch what's going to happen in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. By the way, notice it says, verse 19, for it is written, not it is fulfilled. Okay? Paul is not saying this is being fulfilled here today. He's saying what's going on today has a parallel, a similar situation to that issue that Isaiah is talking about. Because he's quoting Isaiah 29, verse 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness, foolish, have not, hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. What did Romans 1 say? Speaking themselves to be wise, they became fools, professing themselves. What happened? We can do it our way. We don't need God. We don't like to retain God in our knowledge. Just put him over there. Don't worry. All avenues lead back to God. Um. And he says, you know what you are? You're a fool. Only a, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
A fool said that. Well, for after that in the verse 21, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? That believe. What does he believe what? Believe the preaching of the cross. Believing the gospel. Hey, that here's the cross. Here's how you have your sins taken care of. Here's how you have Job 9 ask at verse 1. How, what should a man do to be just with God? They asked Peter in Acts 2, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? They asked Paul in Acts 16, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? Paul says, here's the word, man. you got to believe Calvary. you got to trust Calvary. But also there's something else going on behind it. There's a battle that's raging. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The issue at Calvary is more than just your justification. There's a wisdom issue going on and a power issue going on. There's a battle that's raging in Calvary. Verse 24, But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why? Why is, why is that the case? Verse 26, why is that the case? Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. Is there anything weaker than seeing your Savior hanging on a cross, being crucified, being beaten, being mocked, looked at and said, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, come on down. And he just sits there. Father, forgive them. It looks weak when you say, I, trust, I believe that Christ died for your sins. It looks weak when you hand that tract and say, hey, have you ever considered where you would spend eternity? If you were to die today, hey, folks, your life is but a vapor. You, you might take your last breath sitting right here. Boy, wouldn't that be a sight, right? Those little guys next door, all those, you got all that activity and energy, and it could be here today and gone tomorrow. And where would you, has anyone loved you enough to ask you where you would spend eternity if you were to die? And you begin to give them the gospel, and you begin to talk to them about their, their eternal soul, and you begin to talk about what's happened and what the future looks like with them. And you know what they say? That is nothing but tomfoolery. That's hate speech. And you're sitting there going, no, why, why is that? Because how does the world look at it? That's foolishness. The base things, verse 28, of the world and the things which are despised, which God chose, and yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Now watch God the Father make Christ Jesus this to you. Notice how Paul says it. Who of God is made unto us? The who is Christ Jesus. 
wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Notice that. Notice the impact of the cross on your life. What is he now to you? He's wisdom. You have his righteousness. I mean, I don't know if you think about that. You have his sanctification. You have his redemption. Wow. He's everything to me now. He's, he's, it's all there. It's all right here. So, verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. How, where else would you glory? Everything you have is right there. You see, Calvary, yes, death, burial, and resurrection, yes, the events, yeah, we see it, yeah, we trust it, have justification, but look at the deeper impact. Yes, there's a battle raging. Yes, there, there's a great song. It is finished out there, and the souls of men are hanging the balance, and there's a great struggle there. You think about the Lord. You go back and read Psalm 69, where he describes in Psalms 22 and Psalms 23, where he describes death and the grip of it, and it's like he's drowning, and he's drowning, and there's no end, and he's falling, and he's, de- he's just constantly, and you think about what? He is, when he does that, he is nothing but a worm. He's been made sin. My God, he starts, and oh, Father, forgive him. My God, where hast thou forsaken me? I am not a man, but I am a worm. He's been made your sin. He's paying your second death right there, hanging on the tree. Then at the end, he says, Father, I'm coming home, and gives up the ghost. What's going on there? Much more than just a little ditty on the middle of April. By the way, no Easter bunnies, no egg giving, no chocolate. Well, you've got to have the chocolate. So, okay, I'll give you one out of the three, all right? Look at what's going on. He secures your redemption. He seals it. He's everything to you. He all accomplished because of the cross. So, man, you better be glorying where? In him. Come over to Galatians 6 on our way to Colossians. Boy, I tell you what, I think about Calvary. You think about the battle on the cross that's raging. You think about what's happening. You read the the, the scenes and the, and the gospels to it. You come in and read Paul. Next week we'll talk about Paul and the resurrection. And you, and you come across a verse like Galatians 6, 14, and you can just feel Paul and the heaviness of the heart as he says, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Wow, Paul's focus. He's just getting done dealing with the Corinthians who are adding law to grace and got it all in a mess. And he says, man, the focus isn't all that mess. The focus needs to be Calvary and the cross because that's where it all starts. That's where it all ends. That's where the focus is. And come over to Colossians 2. That's where it is. That's where it hinges. 
So Paul says, Colossians 2, verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know what the, you know Calvary accomplished that for you? He made you complete. Where? In him. Well, who's he? He's the head of all principality and power. He's the top. Over there in Timothy, he calls him the potentate. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's not the bellhop. He's not the Jew hanging on the tree. He's who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Look at what happens at Calvary. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. There's Calvary. What's going to happen to you one day? The trump's going to blow. The shout's going to happen. Resurrection day will happen. The day of redemption. Paul calls it our gathering together. We call it the rapture. All of those events begin to happen. Why? Because of Calvary. You know why you have to, if you're dead and gone, why Paul says the dead in Christ rise first? Do you know why they have to do that? Do you know why you have to, you know, I heard a guy, well, don't you just come back and meet him in the air. Why do you got to come down and come up? Because that's what Christ did. And our resurrection has to be exactly like his resurrection, or it's not a co-resurrection. That's what verse 12 is telling me. Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How can he forgive you of all your trespasses? How can he do, how can he do that? Because of Calvary. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. What did he do? How did he do that? Nailing it to his cross. You see, Calvary is much more than just a little thing we do. It's everything we do. It's where every focus is. Having spoiled principalities and powers, how did he spoil them? Well, he had a little hidden wisdom, remember? 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. That he reveals as the risen, ascended, Seated at the right hand of God the Father in the third heaven, as he reaches down, set far above all principality, as he reaches down to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and says, I got something new to give. And it's about what I accomplished at Calvary. And it's going to be without the deeds of the law, without the righteousness of the law. It's going to be directly right here. It's going to be the, the mediator between God and men now will be the man, Christ Jesus. And that's where we're going. And Israel had her chance, and she's on the sidelines now. Back to chapter 1. You see, folks, Calvary, Easter, Palm Sunday, this stuff is stuff we ought to be thinking about every day. It ought to be what motivates us, what drives us. Life stinks sometimes, doesn't it? I believe it does. Okay? I had a birthday this past week, and you know, I was reminded about birthdays. <laughs> and I think I'd rather reverse my number this, this year 
and keep it the other way. You know, and you go, you go just life just kind of stinks. Could you imagine? Think about recent events in, in our community. Can you imagine getting the phone call that your son was just killed in a head-on accident out there on that D-line? And he's responding to help. And whatever happened, happened, he'll figure it out. But you get that phone call. By the way, I've been there. I've had to make the phone call. I know what the family's going through. It, it's not all peaches and roses and woohoo. It hurts. It's deep. And you know what Christ said? I paid for that. I get my, you get your comfort there. Things come at us at all the time, different angles, different things, different topics. And you know what happens? Christ says, I've been there. I paid for that. Get your rest in who I am to you. Colossians 1, verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins I know on the calendar it says Palm Sunday and I know people will be doing stuff all the and that's fine have your family traditions there's nothing wrong with it but don't get too far from Calvary in doing it traditions are good Traditions are just how you do things over and over and over again. But don't get too far. Have them with your family because you're having them with who? Family. And you get an opportunity to remind them of what? Of who? Of Calvary. Well, Rick, you know, should we do this? Should we? Do? You do it for your family. I, I know what I did for mine. <laughs> but you know what you do? You do it because of Calvary. Because what did he do? In whom we have redemption through his what? Through his blood. One more verse. Go to Romans 4. Romans 4. You see, folks, there's more going on than just him walking in the beginning of the week on a back in on a baby donkey and doing some things and them doing, you know, all that stuff. There's more to it than him just going and dying and being buried and the grave being emptied. I love the guys. The ladies come and they ask, the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Oof, bam, like, yeah, get them. They should have known better. Much more going on than that. Paul comes in. He says, verse 25, Romans 4, 25, who was delivered for our offenses. There's that great reproach psalm of Psalm 69. And was raised again for our justification. It wasn't enough for him to die. He had to be what? Resurrected. Because we believe in a living God. And it's only the living God that can give you the deliverance from your offenses. So what happened? Third day, first of the week, he's, he's up. He's resurrected. He looks at the Apostle Paul 
and says, I'm going to give you this message, Paul, now it's to all men, and how that Christ died for all men. The prophets talk about Christ dying for Israel, the little flock, the believing remnant. Paul comes in and says, now it's everybody. And now how you get to Christ is by going to Christ directly and acknowledging what he did on your behalf. You're weak. Romans 5 is clear. You're an enemy. You're ungodly. Yeah, but Rick, I'm a good guy. Yeah, but in that passage, even the good guy is a bad guy. Yeah, but I don't do, I don't drink, steal, and run with those that do all that stuff. Yeah, but in Romans 5, even the good guy needs a Savior. What did he do? He said, I'm dying for you. All you have to do is believe me, is trust me. That's all you have to do. You don't walk an aisle. You don't shake my hand. You don't hug my neck. You don't kick me in the seat. You don't do any of that. Kick me in the shins. You don't do any. You don't even have to say anything. Just in the privacy of your heart, between you and God, you trust him. You trust the Savior. And you let all the rest of it just lie. Why the cross is offensive is because what does religion say? Nope, you got to do something to help. And doing anything to help destroys Calvary because he did it for us all. And he did it for all of mankind. And a lot going on behind the scenes. I just want to remind you of that. Think about that. Next week, we'll look at the resurrection and some other things, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for the fact that it's trusting in you and you alone. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's the work that you have done that saves us. And we say thank you for that. Because if we tried to do something... We would just make it miserable. We would make it impossible. We couldn't do it. But you did do it. And we do what you ask of us, and that is to simply say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.